presets when it comes to the Holy Spirit. How many guys recognize that from last week? If you weren't here last week, I'm not going to go back through this, but we'll touch base on it a little bit here and there. But the illustration here is in the study that we're doing on the Holy Spirit, it's not so much just for us to collect more information about the Spirit, to where we kind of have more on the doctrinal shelf in the section called the Holy Spirit, that, you know, if we get into a discussion with somebody else, we can run to our thoughts and share those thoughts, or, or if we just happen to be in a covenant group meeting and we're trying to share about, you know, who is the Holy Spirit, that we can pull out that idea, he's a person, and um, that's helpful and it's important. But my experience as a believer and I think what I see in the scriptures as well, is you can have a lot of information about the Holy Spirit, but be very disconnected from experiencing the Spirit in your life. And I think that's true whether you're a year old in the Lord or 30 years old in the Lord. And so the, the ambition here is to help us recognize that we don't just want to be aware that there is the Holy Spirit as a person in the Godhead, but we want to learn how to receive from the Holy Spirit. And so what you have on your radio dial there is just a collection, it's not an exhaustive collection, a collection of various ways in which the Holy Spirit makes contact with a human being. All right, so that's what you have here. And last week we, we looked at the first one. We looked at the ministry of conviction and repentance, how the Holy Spirit comes to our lives and makes real to us the offense that sin is to God. And, you know, when you read through the scriptures, there's a heavy-handedness that was David referred to about God being on his life in a heavy-handed way that when sin had occurred in his life, it's almost as though he didn't have the capacity just to keep on going and treat it as casual. I'm concerned, though, that in the church today, that's not the case. And I believe it's because there is a diminished receiving of the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. And so we want to learn how to receive from the Spirit. So I don't know what your presets are this morning. Presets are those places that we're aware that the Holy Spirit ministers this way, and we're actually in the mode where we connect with that dimension of the Spirit. We actually receive something. In the spirit. So, so maybe it's that third box there on the left, revelation and understanding, you know, the ministry of the truth. And we sit down with our Bible, we get something out of it. It makes sense to us. It, it, it reads into our soul and we're affected by that. So there may be many of us here today that God is moving in the realm by the spirit of revealing his word to us. So that's kind of a preset. You know, we we kind of know how to interact with that category. But what about, you know, jumping over to the other side of the, what about <clears throat> maybe verbal gifts? Right? When you, when you survey your life, when was the last time you received a prophetic word? Right? Where God gave you a unique impression or understanding about something that was occurring that you didn't just get in the natural, but you got it by means of the Spirit revealing something to you about a person, about your situation, about something that's about to occur in the kingdom of God. Or maybe a, uh, a gift of tongues. Is that something that you, you know something about, but it's not something that you've experienced in your life? Or is that a preset for you, or is it like, no, that's a, that's a button. I don't ever press that button. Uh, you know, I don't ever experience that from God. You know, what about uh, things like inner intangibles, 
just boldness, burden, hunger, and thirst. I mean, these are huge, huge things. We'll, we'll kind of flirt a little bit with some of that today. It was the last time you just sensed this weight from God about something that mattered to God so much it began to sit on you and, and response began to occur in you. It wasn't just like you were reading the newspaper. It wasn't just like you were being informed about something at a distance, but you began to feel the weight of this thing. Perhaps even, even tears begin to flow out of the edges of your eyes as you sensed how much this mattered to God. You were involved in some person's life and you were carrying their situation in such a way that when you prayed, you did cry out because it was a weighty thing in your life. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of us might say we're familiar with kind of seasons of dryness where we just haven't really been pursuing the word and, and pursuing time with God and, and we're sort of doing our duty, but there's not this interaction with God that's passionate and full. But when we do have those times, do you recognize that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And when you pick your word up and you can't put it down, when you make time because you delight in experiencing God's presence, and I think if you've been saved for very long, you know that there's times when it's like there's wind in your sails. And there's times when you feel like you're standing on board the sailboat going, nothing. Right? That wind in your sails, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Spirit that you're receiving in your life. And so I want to branch out and not just get in the habit of, yeah, I do my same presets, man. I look on this list here, and the ones that are familiar to me are the ones that have always been familiar to me. <clears throat> They're the activity of the Spirit that I've had some experience with in the last 15 years, and they're the same ones. I just don't venture out. Well, the Bible wants you to venture out. You know, do you understand the Bible never said pick three? I don't know where we got that idea from. Like we, we read the catalog of the Spirit and we go, oh, gosh, I know I can only have three if I'm really pulling off some cool stuff. I'll take this one, this one, and this one, and I'm done. The Bible never told you to choose like that. It chose you, told you to pursue. So this is about us pursuing the Spirit. Now let me, let me again encourage us. In a few moments, uh, the dimension of you receiving from the Spirit by a human voice, which is a dimension of you receiving by the Spirit, is going to go away. Right, now, when that occurs, it doesn't mean the service is over. Okay? It means it's time for you to listen for the voice of God a little differently. For you to experience God drawing near to you, maybe through another channel, you might need to dial down a little bit and look for God to communicate something uniquely to you. Right? One of the concerns I have, and we've talked about this a bit as, as a team, is in an attempt to make use of certain aspects of ministry, we've created patterns. Right? We do things in patterns. Sometimes what we do both by way of leading those patterns or receiving from those patterns is we begin to find presets. We limit the Holy Spirit by saying in our pattern we're going we're gonna to sing, do announcements, preach, and go home. We're going to sing, do announcements, preach, and go home. And that's all we sort of experience. And so when we get to the, you know, when I start sounding like he's, he sounds like he's about to say amen, 
He's, he's, he sounds like he's winding down here. We start winding down and we start looking for our keys. And, uh, all right, can we not do that? But I'm going to ask you, when, when I start winding down, you start winding up in a different category. I want you to be wound up right now. But I want you to be listening for the Spirit of God, what he wants to communicate to you uniquely. That might not come through a voice, but it will definitely be the Spirit. All right? Quick thought here. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right, this, is, this has kind of been an, an issue of debate. It's been in the news lately. All the uh, campaigning stuff going on. You've got Mormons and, you know, are Mormons Christians? You know, um, we had a uh, conference here last week on Islams. So, you know, what, what, what is it? What, what's a Muslim versus what's a Christian? So if I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? More than likely, more than likely where our conversation would go would be into the believe category. It would be into the, well, a Christian believes this about God, this about man, this about salvation, and, and that would be right. That would be right. It would be very important. You know, the difference between a Muslim and a Christian, a Muslim believes this and a Christian believes this. Right? Isn't that how we'd probably answer? You know, the difference between a Mormon and a Christian is a Mormon believes this and a Christian believes this. And, and that would be important. That would be important. But let me make this statement. I think I put it in your outline. What makes you a Christian and what makes living the Christian life possible is not merely a set of beliefs that we embrace. Not merely. It is that. But it's not merely that. It's not just our beliefs that change when we become Christians. And if you, your belief does need to change, to become a Christian, you have to come into agreement with what God has said. So there is a belief factor here. But that's not the only factor here. Open to John chapter 3. Very familiar passage to us. But one that we can gain some great insights into our category today. I want to talk about a new normal in the category of regeneration, the Holy Spirit's work of bringing new life to us, being born again. And as we learn from this concept, Jesus introduces it to this particular man named Nicodemus, and immediately it's greeted with some confusion. And confusion always gives us an opportunity to learn. Right, always it's going to highlight some things that we might not be understanding. So John chapter 3. Now let me, let me note this before I read because I'm not going to get all the way into the chapter. But if you read all of John chapter 3, you're going to notice what we're going to talk about this morning. But you're also going to notice an emphasis on what you believe. What you believe matters. Right? So if you were saying, well, wait, is it wrong for me then to say a Christian believes this and a non-Christian believes that? No, that, that's right. right. When you scoot all the way down. Verse 12, Jesus tells Nicodemus later, and we're not going to get to this, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Right? Remember, you scoot a little bit further down in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So is it right for me to say that Christianity is defined by belief? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's defined by what you believe. You can't just keep believing what you've always believed. You have to come into agreement with God. 
and believe what he has said to believe. So belief is critical, but it's not the only thing. There's a big difference between you believing something about what God has said and a Muslim who believes something about what Muhammad has said. And, well, he just believes that, you believe that. Your source reference material is that, and his source reference material is that. That's true, but it's not all that's true. There's something about you as a Christian that's fundamentally different than the Muslim or the Mormon. Something about you, and we pick it up in this story here. Verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot. Right? You hear that word? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Just someone to... Sideswipe your car on the way by here, a little doctrinal helper. Um, there's, there's this doctrine of inability in the Bible. It's very important that you see it when it, when it jumps off the page because it helps you understand the grace of God. It helps you understand why God relates to you the way he does. Right? Clearly, what's being told to this man is you cannot. You cannot see. You're not capable of seeing the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he cannot see the kingdom and he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Now consider this conversation. Context here is, here's a man who has come in contact with these amazing works that Jesus has been doing. He's teaching people. He's he's blowing them away with the wisdom that he brings about who God is and what God has done in this revelation. And then he performs these amazing miracles. And Nicodemus has been watching this. And Nicodemus wants to understand I, I don't get this. And he pulls Jesus aside privately. Jesus, I, I'm, I'm seeing all this stuff, I, I, but I, I don't get it. Help me. Help me get this. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you can't get it. You can't get it. You can't see it, and you can't enter it. Unless something happens to you. Now, do, you do you see something here? Because it wasn't just a matter of, here, Nicodemus, I know you've had some ideas up until this point, and I've got some other ideas. Let me share with you my ideas that didn't help you with your ideas. He says, no, Nicodemus, uh, 
something needs to happen to you, Nicodemus, to you, so that you can see this. I know you're, you're kind of curious from a distance, and you can be curious all you want, Nicodemus, but if this doesn't happen to you, you'll never get it. You'll never see it, and you'll never enter into it. What needs to happen? You need to be born again, Nicodemus. This is the doctrine that the Bible refers to as regeneration, a, a new genesis, a new life. You're already alive, yeah, but you need a new life. If you want to see these things and you want to enter into them, Nicodemus, you are going to have to change. I'm not just trying to get you to change your mind about some ideas. I'm not just trying to get you to read some new ideas, although that's important. Because a little bit later, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. So what you believe is important, but it's not the only thing that's important. Nicodemus, if something doesn't happen to you, you will never see this. You will never get it. And so what exactly is it when someone is born again? What is, what is regeneration? A couple of thoughts here. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, what is regeneration? It is the implanting of a principle of new spiritual life and a radical change in the governing disposition of the soul. God so operates upon us in the Holy Spirit that this fundamental disposition of ours is changed. He put a holy principle, a seed of new spiritual life into the disposition that determines what I am and how I behave and how I use and employ my faculties. Because of the change in the disposition, the whole person is affected. The way I use my mind will be affected. The operation of my emotions will be affected. And so will my will. Because by definition, the disposition is at the back of all those and gives direction to them. Right, something deep, a governing issue in Nicodemus needs to change by what God would do on the inside of him by the Spirit. John Piper says, the new birth is the coming into our life of the Holy Spirit to create a whole new array of desires and loves and yearnings and longings. And when these desires are stronger than the opposing desires of the flesh, then we are walking by the Spirit. For we always act according to our strongest desires. Right? Remember, John's already brought up this spirit-flesh thing. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So if you want the things of the Spirit, that's got to come from the Spirit. You just can't take your flesh, get some new ideas, and produce the activity of the Spirit by your flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And that Spirit gives birth on the inside to new desires and longings and passions and yearnings. Listen, this is how you and I live our lives. You live your life on a daily basis out of what you're passionate for, out of what you want, out of your strong desires. And this is where the Holy Spirit goes. He goes into those categories of who we are with new desires, new yearnings, new longings. And that comes to us by the Spirit. So question, how do you know you are a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? Now listen carefully. I'm not saying how do you become a Christian. 
I'm asking you this. You say you're a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? You're going to need to give two answers and not just one. Because there's two answers in the Bible. One of them is the words that we say, what we believe. Because you do have to believe the right thing to be a Christian. If you're at odds with what the Bible teaches about salvation through Christ because of the cross, through him alone, if you have in your mind that there's any other way to be saved besides Christ, then you are not in agreement with God and you don't believe what God has said. And therefore, your belief condemns you. To come into a relationship with God means you've got to come into agreement with God and what he said. So what you believe, you know, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, because I've confessed with my mouth Jesus is Lord and I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says I would be saved. That's the right answer. Are you sure you're a Christian though? Because that's not all the Bible says. I'm asking you how you know you're a Christian. How do you know? Well, it's not just what you say, it's the life you live after you say what you say. It's what you do. It's who you've become. Nicodemus, you want to see the kingdom? You want to enter the kingdom? You need to be born again. So the question is, Nicodemus, are you born again? Now, my question is, how do you answer that? Yeah, I'm born again. All right, how do you know? Well, because in 1979, I walked forward and I prayed a prayer. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior and forgive me my sins. Okay, that's what you believe. How do you know you're born again? You don't have to reach back that far. How do you know you're born again? And then this, is how the, this is how the Bible discusses this topic, right? not how we've learned to discuss it. Right? You look there in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. Right. There's a realm of the Spirit that is mysterious. How do you know you're born again? See, because when the Spirit moves, it's, it, the, Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus. When the Spirit moves, it's, it's like the wind. It's invisible. But you hear it. It causes an effect. How do you know the Spirit is blowing on your life? Because there's an effect from the Spirit. How do you know if you're born again? Well, born again would mean that the spirit of God's wind has blown into this unregenerate person who didn't know God, and the spirit now has blown into this piece of real estate and has touched my life. And if the wind blows, I mean, you guys can look out the window there and tell me, is the wind blowing? How do you know it's blowing? You can't see the wind. Did, you, did anybody see the wind just now when you looked? Now, you saw the effect of the wind. You saw that tree move. That's how you knew the wind was blowing. How do you know somebody's born again? You see the effect of the Spirit, right? And this is what 1 John is really all about. 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How do you know somebody's born again? Because they practice righteousness. Right? Isn't that what John is saying here? This is the same writer of the Gospel of John who's now writing 1 John. Who's been given revelation by God that the, that the wind blows and you hear it. Like verse 
8 of chapter 3 in 1 John, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, this is a a huge statement. This born of God thing must be big, huh? It must be a very, very big deal because it's, it's interrupting what comes most natural for all of us, right? Sinning and just keeping on sinning. No one had to teach me to sin. Did any of y'all take classes on sinning? I mean, I had a knack for it early on. It just kind of came quick, and I perfected it. I had techniques that I probably could have taught others maybe, but I was getting good at sinning in all kinds of categories. And yet when you're born again, something so radical, so amazing takes place that it turns the faucet off on this practice of sinning. Now, the language is careful there, right? I don't want anybody to crawl into this corner. Please don't anybody crawl into this corner because you're going to waste the rest of our time together. Don't crawl into the corner of, wait, so you're saying that if I sin, I'm not a Christian? No, no. If you're new here, you can say that if you want. If you've attended church here more than four or five times, you better not be saying that. (laughs) Right? If you've read the Bible... You do realize much, much, I won't say most, but you can almost say most of the New Testament gets written into sinful problems in the church. So it's not as though the Bible is saying, whoo, don't know what to do with sin. Oh, you know, when you become a Christian, that's supposed to stop completely. Uh, It doesn't sound that way. But what it does sound like is this ongoing partnership and agreement and practice of sin meets an amazing force in this thing called the new birth. That's what these verses are saying. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Right? That's not the practice of your life. If your heart doesn't incline towards righteous things, if you don't have a desire to know God, if the activity of the Spirit has come to you and there's no new affection for God, no desire to glorify God, no interest in the things of God, if that's not going off in you, I don't know what you did when you came forward and said something. But the evidence is not in your favor that you're born again. If I read 1 John... No one questions whether 1 John should be in the Bible. How do you know you're born again? By this it is evident who the children of God are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. How do you know if you're a Christian? Because I believe this. That's good. How do you know? I guess the next question is, well, how do you know you really believe it? Because I'm born again, and the wind is blowing on my life. And I used to be like this, but now the wind blows on my life, and it, and it moves me. It, it, it affects me when the wind blows. I mean, I'll believe the Holy Spirit's a wimpy wind. 
Right? Peter was about the only person fool enough, I mean brave enough to stay here when Katrina hit. <laughs> well, that's because she's just a submitted woman. That's why she stayed with you. It wasn't, it wasn't out of the sense that she had. But anyway, um, I did talk to Peter on the phone uh, when the storm was, was raging and uh, you could hear stuff bouncing off his house, <laughs> you know, talking and boom. What is that? He says, I, I think it's roof shingles flying into my house. Uh, right, okay, that's just a little, little hurricane, little hurricane blowing. Right, we're, not even, we're, not, we're not in God category here. It's a little hurricane. I mean, I'll think if the Holy Spirit blew upon your life, he might, he might, he might be able to move you. He might. Right? And so if you've been stuck in this mode of the way in which you are and the Holy Spirit blows upon your life, you are, you are going to move, right? You're going to begin to slide across the floor. And even if you want to hold on to that sin, it's going to be pretty hard for you to do it. Unless you think you're greater than the Holy Spirit. How do you know you've been born again? Well, I used to be standing over there. <laughs> I used to be happy to be standing over there. and I'm not over there anymore. Right? That's a helpful way of knowing. This thought from John Piper. It says, when the Barna group, the Barna group is a, is a research group. They kind of do research on people's beliefs and patterns of life in the United States. When the Barna group uses the term born again to describe American churchgoers whose lives are indistinguishable from the world and who sin as much as the world and sacrifice for others as little as the world and embrace injustice as readily as the world and covet things as greedily as the world and enjoy... God ignoring entertainment as enthusiastically as the world. When the term born again is used to describe these professing Christians, the Barna group is making a profound mistake. Here is the way the research defines born again in their research. This is from the Barna group. Born again Christians were, de- were defined in these surveys as people who said they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in their life today, and who also indicated they believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they confessed their sins and had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. All right, now, if I didn't say all that I've said leading up to this and you read that, you might think, hey, that's a pretty good definition for a born-again Christian. It's not a good definition. Piper goes on and says, in other words, in this research, the term born-again refers to people who say things. Then the Barna group takes them at their word, ascribes to them the infinitely important reality of the new birth, and then slanders that precious biblical reality by saying that regenerate hearts have no more victory over sin than unregenerate hearts. Wow. Is that true? That you can be born again, blown over by the Holy Spirit? and not have any different course of life, any different track record for your life than the people who don't even know God? Is that really even possible, guys? When I read the Bible, I have a hard time believing that's even possible. How do you know you're born again? From what you believe? Yeah, but that's not all. It's from the observable 
effect of the Spirit. When I read in the Bible, the Holy Spirit being present, the wind, it's a mystery. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, but you do hear it. You do see its effects in your life. Now, here's part of the great tragedy of what we're studying here together. Crisis of the ministry of the Spirit. Is that you can't find him in his real experiential presence anymore. He's become merely a doctrine to believe. How do you, how do you know you've been born again by the Holy Spirit? Well, because... Uh, so many years ago, I prayed and I asked God, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So you believe in a doctrine. It's not bad. You even got reason in the doctrine to believe that the Holy Spirit would actually come into your life as a result of what you believe. But, but this, see, this is, this is where the church is getting into a dilemma. We're, shelf, we're putting all these ideas of the Spirit's active reality into categories where we're just doctrinally convinced that they exist. How many of y'all believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, I believe in that. Do you believe in it because you're moved by it? You're experiencing the gifts? You're blown over by it? Or you believe it because it's a doctrine to be believed? How many of us believe in the power of God to overcome sin by the Holy Spirit? It's a doctrinal statement from the Bible. How do you believe it because the Spirit of God's blown on your life and you used to look like that and you look like, well, you don't look like this now. I'm <laughs> not sure that's a good illustration, but we believe all kinds of things. Believe in holiness. You believe it because it just says it in the Bible? You believe it because you've experienced it from the Spirit. Keith, how do, you, how do you know? How do you know you're really a Christian, Keith? Well, because I, I, I did go forward in a meeting when faith was in my heart to believe in Jesus Christ to be my Savior and to forgive me of my sins. And I didn't understand a ton of doctrine at that point, but I understood that I, I needed to repent and turn to God and trust him and put my faith in Jesus Christ to save me. I didn't know about, the term born again was being thrown around. I didn't really know what it meant. I knew it was a different label for a type of a Christian. You got A-type Christians, B-type Christians, and born-again type Christians. You got this kind of religion, that kind of religion. You got born-again Christians. So I knew this was a different category of person. That's what I knew. Beyond that, I didn't know anything. But see, when faith in my heart received the grace of God in the person of Christ, the wind of the Spirit blew upon my life without anybody having to tell me, now, Keith, get ready. Your hair's about to get a little messed up. Uh, I didn't know all the Holy Spirit was going to do because I didn't really know at that point all that needed to be done in me. <laughs> I knew I had some issues, uh, and my list was about like that. And then when I got around the righteousness of God, I realized, whoo, no, I got some issues. And for years, that list has been being worked on. But there was, a, there was an effect of the Spirit in my life immediately. Listen, for me, before I knew Christ, thrills for me involved, uh, involved drugs, involved getting high, 
It involved uh, doing things that were dangerous, doing things that flirted with breaking the law. You know, I was, I was a teenager. I'm, this is, I'm not a grown man saying this, okay? It wasn't like I got saved at 30. Um, but, you know, I like to break stuff. I like to steal stuff. You know, sorry, that's just the truth. I mean, that's kind of where I was at. Uh, matter of fact, I read, the, I read the newspaper the other day uh, about somebody who's just, you know, committed sinful acts that are going to haunt this man for the rest of his life. And uh, I was freshly in tears thinking, oh, that could have been me. If you hadn't stepped into my life, who knows where my appetite for thrill would have taken me next and who I would have become. I'm grateful for the mercy of God to find me when he did. But, see, those things changed immediately. Immediately those things changed. And then God began to blow on my life in other categories and begin to reveal things, revealing my hidden motivations. This strange thing in me as a teenage guy growing up that, that had, on the one hand, had pride motivating me. On the other hand, was very shy. And, you know, but I didn't want to be seen as shy. I wanted to be seen as impressive somehow, but I was shy, so it didn't come naturally for me to create impressive moments. So it was just a miserable existence, if you can understand. Anybody have this strange cocktail going on inside of them? You understand that? Uh, and so, you know, God began to blow on that. Spirit of God began to push on that with his force. And I began to experience conviction. I began to see what's really motivating me. Begin to see what is on the outside. It doesn't match why you really do what you do. And begin to get convicted by how I manipulated circumstances and people to, to get them to see me a certain way. And it was a full-time job going on inside of me. And the Spirit of God began to blow on that and blow on that and blow on that. And I began to move and move and move. And there would be multiple categories. And like I say, as a matter of fact, I was in a conference a couple of weeks ago for the youth. And a guy was giving an altar call. And he was kind of talking about the realities of, you know, whether you're really a Christian. You know, and he talked about the realities of life and began to go through these categories. Do you see this in your life? And, and do you see this in your life? And do you experience this? And he had a list of things he was going through that would be common to a Christian. I just, I just began to tear up. Because, yeah, I saw those things in my life. I did see those kinds of effects. It was questions about, you know, do you, do you have a prayer life that's not required of you? Do you open your Bible and read it just to know more about God? Do you enjoy just spending time with God? Or is it something you never get around to doing? Uh, and, and as he kept listing, I thought, yes. Yes, Lord, I do. I thought, what, what, what an assurance in my heart. That I really do belong to God. Not just some prayer I prayed, not just some altar call I made. But the wind of God blows on our lives. Keith, how do you know you're a Christian? Because I believe what God said to believe. And I've been born again. How do you know you've been born again? Because I used to be over there. And the wind of God has blown me over here and continues. He continues to blow me further. That's how I know. Now listen. Listen, if you say the right things and you've always stood here and you're still standing here, and I say, how do you know you're born again? Do you know what you have to tell me? I'm not sure. The Bible wants there to be assuredness, but there's a reality that this work of regeneration in your soul is huge. It's effective. We cannot cheapen it. 
and make it as though some of us are going to have to get out the serious flashlights in a search party to figure out whether or not we're really born again by the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Uh, trains colliding at 100 miles an hour. No one needs to wonder. I wonder if there was a wreck. You being bent on sin to live for your own pleasure and you being collided with, with the Holy Spirit who wants you to live for the glory of God, there's going to be debris everywhere. And if there's not, you have great cause to be concerned. Jack Taylor said, here is the most amazing phenomena since the miracles of Christ's incarnation, resurrection, and ascension. A new creation. A human being inhabited by divine life. We've grown to be entirely too passive and unexcited about it. And quite honestly, unaffected by it. A life that is not affected or is nominally affected by regeneration is not normal. Right? This is a category where we need a new normal. God, give us a new normal. We're not praying for revival here. Just saying, God, give us a new normal. That we don't have this great doctrine of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we have a low view of the effect that that will produce in our lives. That's not normal nominal response to the Spirit of God coming in power upon our lives. It's not normal. The church can't keep accepting it as normal. Let me talk to you about a couple things. Try to do these quickly. There's a learning of this new way of life, right? Life now birthed out of the Spirit. A new way of living in this category of regeneration. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I would suggest this doctrine is seriously and sadly neglected among us. Oh, I know that lip service is paid to it and that people talk very glibly and generally about being born again. But to what extent do people study it? To what extent have we really looked into it and discovered what exactly it means? This doctrine is absolutely pivotal. Why is it that we persist in stopping with the idea of forgiveness only? And fail to realize that this other doctrine is essential to us as the doctrine of the atonement leading to the forgiveness of our sins. This is, not a, this is not a small issue. This receiving of the regenerating work of God. All right, two things we need to learn. One, learning to receive rather than achieve. This is the way of the Spirit. If I was going to teach you, I, I, and I said this last week, learning to hear the Spirit is like learning to speak another language. When you learn to speak English, you know, taught you phonics, etc. These two things I'm about to highlight right here might be the phonics of the Spirit. If you don't get these right, it's very hard for you to even engage the Spirit correctly. Right? So here's, here's some language of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8. Go back there. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sounds. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Right, Nicodemus. If the wind of God blew upon your life, where did it come from? What makes the wind blow? I know we've got meteorologists today, so we kind of get some kind of an understanding about high pressure, low pressure, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus says, Nicodemus, there's a mystery here of why does the Spirit blow on you? You don't understand that. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know why. Why did the Spirit blow on you? Why did the Spirit blow on you? You're born again? Why did the Spirit blow on you? Where did that come from? I don't remember Nicodemus' response. Nicodemus says, how can, how can these things be? Right? He's confused. Sinclair Ferguson 
says, It is not surprising that Nicodemus, schooled in the religion of doing rather than receiving, replied in total bewilderment. This is the perennial reaction of the mind which sees the way to God as the way of human effort. But the first disciples of Jesus, schooled in the way of God's free grace, the enjoyment of salvation, begins with something God does. Right, do, you, do you understand the difference between the wind blowing on you and bending you over and some strange belief system that says, if I bend, I can get the wind to blow? Do you understand the difference? Because there's a lot of Christians that are standing in line for bending lessons. It's like, I, you know, I want to see God move. Let me see if I can get God to move. If I move faster, then the wind will come. You know, where does the wind come from? It's a mystery. You don't know where it comes from. All right, well, where does it come from? For you to be born again, where does that come from? Does it come from you bending and causing wind? No. No, it doesn't. Here's the language of the Spirit. One, the activity of the Spirit originates in the mercy of God. What causes the wind to blow? The mercy of God. God makes up his mind to blow. That's what causes it to blow. You don't cause it to blow. You don't make it blow. The mercy of God is where the wind of God begins. Secondly, the way of the Spirit is received and not achieved. You receive the things of the Spirit. You don't achieve the things of the Spirit. If you don't get this right, you're about to sign on for a really bumpy, hard, discouraging ride. Look at these two passages. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What was the cause of you being born again? What was the cause of the Spirit of God blowing upon your life? It was the mercy of God. God, for reasons in himself, was gracious towards you. And the wind blew upon your life to fill you with the Spirit to give himself to you. Galatians chapter 3. This is not just a problem in the beginning. It seems to be a problem for Christians along the way. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Right, do you understand? At some point, these guys became believers, and as they moved along in their walk, they began to add their activity as the necessary thing to get God to do his part. If you study Galatians, you find it, it, was, it was incorporating the tradition of circumcision into belief. They were not abandoning Christianity. They were just adding something to it of their own contribution. And Paul says, wait, wait. What, what, made this, what made the wind blow on you in the first place? Was it because you bent far enough? You bent hard enough? You bent and drew from God the wind of the Spirit? Is that how you receive the Spirit? Or did you just receive it by faith? 
did God in his mercy blow upon your life? Because he chose to be merciful to you. If that's how it was from the beginning, well, then here we are years later. Did the rules change all of a sudden? All of a sudden now, everything God will do in your life is about what you will do for him. Is, is that where you're at as a believer? Right, God, God can't do this or God can't do that because, you know, there's issues in me. Now, listen, I'm not trying to get into to issues of, you know, does God, we just studied Conviction and repentance, obviously God wants us to be convicted. He wants us to repent. But if you're getting to a place where God can't, God can't make a move until you do something to make him make a move, you understand you're, you're, you're living in a different Bible. And I know somehow that, that kind of feels right. Like, you know, we just got, I just got to put in enough nickels, enough nickels in prayer, enough nickels in activity. How many nickels was Nicodemus putting in? Nicodemus, your need is just to be born again, man, and you get born again by the mercies of God. God blows upon your life by his mercy in your life. Not because you deserve for him to do that. And you who began by the Spirit, are you now working this out by the flesh? Is it now about your contribution? It's no longer about God. See, do you know what hope this brings into your life? Because literally it means no matter where you are this morning, no matter where you are this morning, God can blow upon your life if God chooses to blow upon your life. Remember the argument of God in Romans chapter 9? I'll have mercy on who I have mercy. Don't you, don't you, and some of us, you know, twist that backwards. I, I Think God's saying, you know what, if I, if I choose to have mercy on that guy, you can't tell me I can't do that. You're just the creation. You can't answer back to me and tell me that guy doesn't deserve it. It's not about whether he deserves it. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Now, here's the, the doctrinal reality of that. If that were not the basis, if the mercy of God were not the basis for what God began to do in your life and what he's going to do next, God would never have done anything in your life. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. What did you have to offer God? Just more rotten, stinking flesh. Yeah, but this is, this is, this is prime flesh, God. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been working, I've been keeping this on the side just for you. You take it out and it's just rotten, putrid thing. Somehow you spray painted it gold and it's kind of, no, God, it's, it's the very best. It's not like what that guy's offering over here. This is, this is gold stink. You know, <laughs> for God, it's still filthy unrighteousness. It's flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So if you're going to offer anything to God that's got any value to it, it's going to have to be spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, well, so spirit's got to give birth to spirit. Where's this spirit going to come from? Your flesh? No. It's going to have to come by the mercy of God giving it to you in the first place. So why is it that we get mercy from God, we receive the Spirit by mercy, and then we move on down the road, and now it becomes offerings of flesh. I've got to work. I've got to achieve. And I think God stands back and says, you know, did you overlook how we started this thing? You were disgustingly, repulsively unrighteous, and I had mercy on you and blew the wind of grace into your life by the Spirit. And now we are later, and I'm just looking to reap the spirit that I gave you from the beginning. That's, I'm looking to just get what I gave you. That's what I'm looking to get. And so this morning, you may not have a great resume this morning. 
But what God began was in mercy by the Spirit. And, and if you're not hearing that, then if I said this morning, let's just respond to God this morning. Do you understand? If you don't speak this phonics language, you're not responding this morning. Do you know why? Because you don't have a cool enough flesh offering to get God to move on your behalf. Does that make sense? So if I say, hey, let's, let's pray for you. Let me just, everybody who's living in the gutter of the Christian life right now, and you start saying, well, man, I don't, I don't have a cool offering. You know, God, God won't do anything for me. God can't move in me because I don't have a cool offering for him. Yeah, but you didn't have one from the beginning either. He found you in mercy and started a work in your life, and he's continuing it in mercy. That's what Galatians is about. All right, last thing here. Let me go ahead. Eric, you can begin to come back up here, bro. Here, last, last thing in regards to that, and I want to just let you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to see this, because I think some of us need some hope that this regenerative work of God did something so amazing, so amazing in our lives. All right, the second thing we've got to learn is to receive from the Spirit while we're still living in the flesh. We still live in flesh. And flesh begets flesh. Spirit begets spirit. Sinclair Ferguson says, human nature is powerless to produce spiritual life and reality. Only a work of the spirit can bring us into the kingdom of the spirit. This is where I gotta, I gotta learn to listen and interact with the spirit because what the spirit produced life in me from the beginning, he wants to do again and again and again. Ferguson says, to have clear views here is to pave the way for all other doctrines of the Christian life. To mistake the way here, conversely, will mean that the whole focus of our understanding is seriously at fault. Right, be careful that you didn't begin by the Spirit and now you're trying to bring flesh before God rather than Spirit. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But... You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All right, can I just tie this verse together? What, what does it mean? You were washed. If you look in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, you find out what that washing was. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And are, you, are you getting what this verse just said? Because there's some people here who you've let these name tags define who you are more than you've let being born again by the Holy Spirit define who you are. Well, I've, I've got a sexual addiction. I'm a homosexual. I'm an alcoholic. Do you, do you see these verses? You see what's in them? 
Do you hear what the Bible says right after it describes those labels that, that we inherit and put on because of the behavior patterns of our lives? One behavior pattern may be more familiar to you than another behavior pattern, more frequent to you than what you've experienced in other categories, and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, such were some of you. But you were regenerated. You were born again. There is a new ruling disposition inside of you. The very life of God himself has come in a mysterious way like the wind and is blown upon your soul. And so it's not just you. See, this is, this is where we go back to, are you a Muslim who believes the Christian faith? Or are you a Christian? Do you understand what I'm saying by that? It's not as though there's just some ideas. You're still the same, but you got some new ideas. See, so I was, I was a drunk before, and now I'm a drunk with new ideas. But you know what? I'm never going to experience freedom from the drunkenness because that's who I am, and I believe this about God. So one day I get to go to heaven, and I'm forgiven right now. The blood of Jesus forgives me of my sins. I didn't use the word cleanses me because cleanses me would mean that I'm different. See, this work of regeneration is a radical, radical, radical work. You're not just somebody who came across some new ideas and you stayed the same. Nicodemus, you need to be different. It's not enough for you to agree with what I'm saying. It's not enough for you to even believe it. You're going to need to be different. You're going to need to be born again. Nicodemus, you're going to need to be a different man. And such were some of you but not anymore. Listen, in a moment, you're going to need to start listening, right? Start listening. What's the Holy Spirit trying to say to you? I don't know what habit pattern, what issue you got going on in your life, what goes so far back that, you know, your name is Joe, and then in parentheses, there's an issue right with that thing. Man, that's just been who you've always been. Listen, if you keep believing that and cooperating with it, what you're doing is you aren't, you have, you have tuned down the dial away from the ministry of regeneration. And you're not paying attention to what the Spirit says to you when he comes into your life and regenerates you. And you get washed and a new life comes into you. So do you, do you expect this week that, that, that you might be able to have victory over some area in your life? Well, I think it very much depends on what you believe about regeneration. Have you really received the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regeneration? Is the wind blowing on your life? Or, I know everybody's got a doctrine of being born again. Listen, I say this very carefully, because in one way, doctrines do blow on our lives. But you cannot separate the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the wind. You need to learn to interact with him. He's here right now. It's not just an idea from a book. He's here right now. He blows on things right now. Let's stand up together. Oh, Lord, right now, right now we want to adjust the dial Holy Spirit we want to somehow 
hear from you. Bear witness in our hearts. Impress upon our souls. Make real to us with fresh faith and awareness what has happened to us in your work of regenerating our lives. What does it mean to be a new creation? The old things have passed away. And one day, one day we're going to put on immortality. And we won't even be able to have contact with those old things. But right now, the old things are still hanging around. But Lord, it does not mean that because we can still see those things, that your work of regenerating us isn't deeper than them. It is deeper than them. Lord, this morning, open our hearts, open our lives to receive from you. Lord, begin to speak into our hearts in a way that we begin to feel a tide of faith coming up in our lives. We begin to sense the wind of your Spirit making us to be what you've truly made us to be. Blowing upon our lives, Lord. Pumping fresh faith into categories that we've given up on. Lord, we've bought into a label, bought into who we've been 20 times in a row. But, Lord, you're pronouncing something to us by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, reach into categories of alcohol and sexual addictions and homosexuality and anger problems and hot-headed tempers. Voice of God say to us, such were some of you oh until my spirit came and you entered the kingdom of God by being born again and the practice of righteousness began to be the prevailing wind blowing in your life it is the prevailing wind do you believe that it's the Holy Spirit making that real to you right now the wind of righteousness is the prevailing wind in your life it's the most dominant wind in your life do you believe that Is God making that real to you right now? God, I pray you're moving in this place this morning. More than just ideas, Lord, you are here. You are here mysteriously blowing upon our lives. God, moving us into new places, into new experiences in you. God, new days, Lord, I pray. Bring a new day, Lord, in this place this morning for some. As Eric begins to, to lead us, I want to I ask for responsiveness again this morning. I want to give God a place of building your faith by you responding to God and saying, Lord, I, I'm asking for a deeper revelation. Lord, I'm tuning in. I'm moving toward what, what does it mean for me to be born again? What does it mean for me to experience your spirit undoing unrighteousness? God, this morning I'm, I'm seeking a freedom and a revelation in the category that I'm sick of being labeled this way. Lord, you said that I could be sure that I was yours and that I was born by your spirit, by the evidence of no longer practicing unrighteousness. Lord, this morning I'm reaching out for that word. I'm tuning into that part of the dial. Spirit of God, make that real to me. this morning and you're you're sick of being who you've been 
this is the place. You get, if you get this wrong, you don't really have much of a chance for other stuff to be real right. The epicenter for God's future in you is that you're a new creation. His spirit has accessed the very darkest places of who you are. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what, I, I'm, I really am, I'm, I'm sick of where I've been. I want you to come receive something from God. I want you to come forward. Say, God, I want you to change the label of my life. I don't, I don't want to be that anymore. And I know, I hear this morning, God, I don't have to be. There's a work of your spirit that's deeper than that work. God, in the war of desires, in the war of desires, you win. You win. And before we go to a song here, I, I, I want to challenge some folks here that you don't just wear the label born again because of what you say you believe. John Piper's right. He says, the new birth is the coming into our life of the Holy Spirit to create a whole new array of desires, loves, yearnings, and longings. Let's, let's not cheapen that. That really is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Let me just set this before some of us here. Might make you feel a little bit insecure, especially if you're a younger person here. You've grown up around all this stuff. But you search your heart right now and you don't find longings for God. You don't find earnest desire for God, passion for Him, a love for Him. You don't find that. Then rightly so, you should feel very concerned. Perhaps you've heard some ideas and even agreed with them. But maybe you're not really born again. See, because when you're born again, the wind blows. The leaves start getting knocked off the trees. And you start changing shape and new things come in your life. Listen, if you're here this morning you're saying, that hadn't been me. Well, maybe, the, maybe this morning is your morning for you to be born again. For you to come forward and say, God, God, this morning, I want to receive your spirit this morning. I want you to bring a new love in my life. I want you to bring new affections for you. God, I want to I think about you and enjoy you. I want to move toward you. God, I don't want to be disinterested. I don't want to be around the things that are about you and not be affected by them. Lord, I don't want to find myself reserving my greatest passions and longings for temporary earthly things while you are a stranger to me. God, I don't want that to be my life any longer. God, come. Come by the Spirit and awaken my soul. Come give me longings for you and desires to worship you. Come overwhelm the cheap, temporary desires of my life with your rich being and eternal life. So if God's doing that in your life, I just want you to step out from where you are. This is not a spectator moment. It's not a spectator moment. Right? You want to receive something? This is, this is why people don't receive. Because we just... We're just used to being in a mode. This, isn't, this is not a moment for you to listen to me. This is a moment for you to find out what's going on inside of you. You sensing something from God right now or not? Yeah, the service is winding down. Yes, yes it is. A few moments, we'll walk out the door. Listen, you do that a hundred times in a row and the, strange, and the Spirit will become a stranger to you overnight. So if God's doing something in your life, Grab the thread. If it's just a thread, grab hold of the thread and say, God, I, I want to tune in. I want to receive from you. 
I want you to be a living presence in my life. I just don't want more ideas. I want you, God. I want you affecting my soul. So if you're here this morning and, and you can't seem to get on top of surfing the waves of sin. You can't seem to get on top of them. When those sins come, you get buried in them over and over and over and over and over again. Do you understand that's not normal? It's normal to get buried every once in a while. That's normal. But for you to live drowning underneath sin's control in areas of your life, it's not Normal. Stop calling it normal. Stop looking at somebody else's life and saying, well, that's what their life looks like. That's a recipe for the church to continue to downgrade and downgrade and downgrade. What's normal for a Christian is fighting power and force by the Spirit that's greater than what sin wants to accomplish in our lives. That's normal. So maybe your heart just needs to say, God, I want, I want normal. God, I just want normal. God, I want a new normal. All right, can we just start praying that as a church? As you hear this, we'll just start praying that. God, we want a new normal. I want a new normal in this place, Lord. We want a new normal when we gather. Lord, we don't want nominal affections for you. We want overwhelming affections. God, when we say cry out, we want to know what it is to cry out because your spirit has birthed in us a weightiness, an urgency, a reality of who you are and what you want to do. God, crying out sounds like crying out. It may even have tears, God. But it's not some distant, disaffection relationship with you. God, bring that day to an end where we're people with some ideas, but you are a stranger to us on a daily basis. Spirit of God, blow upon our lives. Bring a new normal to Lakeview Christian Center. Lord, I pray for days ahead. I pray, God, now that you're beginning to disturb us. Disturb us. God, it's uncomfortable. God, it's uncomfortable for many of us to hear this morning we're not in the place that you want us to be in. But God, thank you for grace. Lord, thank you for grace. That what began by the mercy of your spirit continues today by the mercy of your spirit. God, this is not a pep rally for the flesh. Not trying to get everybody fired up to bring their best stinky flesh offering. God, we're just, we're just here to receive from you, Lord. Just here by faith to open our hearts and say, wind of the Spirit, blow afresh on my life. Open my understanding to these deep realities and truths. Convince me, Lord, move me. Move me, God. How many of you guys need to be moved? I don't care if you get up right now or not. You just need to be moved by God. You guys need to be moved. I want people to come pray for you. You need God to move on your life right now. Hold your hand up. Let people come around you. You see people with their hands up. They just need God to move. They need the wind of the Spirit to blow afresh upon their life. Things have gotten cold. Things have gotten stale. You need a fresh wind of God. Can you guys start moving? You see some people around you need prayer and you're free to do that. Just go over and pray for them. Go over and pray for them. God does a couple of things in moments like this. He begins a process and he zaps people with electricity. So you don't know what he wants to do. But put your hands on somebody. Begin to pray by faith that God would do something deep and tremendous in their lives. God, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for your nearness, Lord. Thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. Lord, thank you that there's not a person here who's beyond the reach of mercy, Lord. Not a person here 
cannot receive this morning by the mercy of God, the wind of the Spirit upon their life. God, thank you by what you began by mercy, you continue by mercy. As Eric sings this song, just allow God to speak to you. Allow God to draw you near. Allow fresh wind to blow upon your life. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to you. 